The new year is here, which means it's time to start new habits and make those yearly resolutions. Mine this year was to get healthier and improve my quality of life, which is why I want to talk to you guys about Noom. Most weight loss plans are one size fits all and don't take into account each person's individual needs which in turn doesn't really set you up for success. Those workout plans you pull from the internet don't think about your individual dietary restrictions, medical issues, or other personal needs. Noom does all of that before building a tailor-made plan that works for you and your lifestyle. It doesn't try to restrict what you eat and never shames you for wanting to treat yourself. And unlike before, I feel the motivation I need to succeed and none of the frustration that came with other plans. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy wherever books are sold. Are you looking to make better, healthier choices this year? Then let me help you out by introducing you to ButcherBox. ButcherBox not only helps you treat yourself to more delicious and wholesome meals, but it takes the guesswork out of finding high-quality meat with humanely raised beef, pork, chicken, seafood, and more that's delivered straight to your door. ButcherBox partners with folks who share their high standards and truly care about how animals are raised. Plus, they're B Corps certified, which makes me feel even better about my decision to be part of the ButcherBox community. ButcherBox is offering our listeners their choice of a weeknight meal essential, three pounds of chicken thighs, two pounds of ground beef, or one pound of premium steak tips for free in every order for a whole year. Plus get, 20 per- plus get $20 off your first order. That's right. New users will receive their choice of two pounds of ground beef, three pounds of chicken thighs, or one pound of premium steak tips for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free offer and get $20 off. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Understanding how mental deficiencies affect crime, and more importantly, punishment, can be difficult even for experts. On November 19, 2007, the oldest serving prisoner in British history, at the time, died behind bars in a case that saw many, many people arguing his mental capacity to understand right from wrong. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, Sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. John Thomas Straffen, the son of a soldier in the British Army, was born on February 27, 1930 at Borden Camp in Hampshire. And when he was just two years old, his father was restationed and they spent the next six years living in India. After spending those formative years abroad, the family returned to the United Kingdom in March of 1938 and settled in Bath, Somerset when his father was discharged. That was the same year that John was referred to a child guidance clinic for stealing and truancy. The following year, in June of 1939, he was sent to juvenile court for stealing a purse and given two years probation where the officer placed on his case discovered that not only did the boy not know the meaning of probation, but that he seemed to be unaware of the difference between right and wrong. John's mother was running a completely full house and was unable to devote special attention to her troublemaking son. So the officer decided to take John himself to a psychiatrist where he was certified as, quote, 
mental defective under the Mental Deficiency Act of 1927. He was later assessed for his IQ, which in 1940 came back as 58, and placed his mental age at just around six years old. Given this new development, the local council sent John to a residential school for children with mental deficiencies, Joseph's School, and two years later, he moved to a senior school, Besford Court. Neither school seemed particularly helpful, and described as a solitary boy who didn't handle being corrected well, he was suspected of strangling two geese when he was just 14 years old and at the age of 16 had his IQ reassessed and found that he had risen slightly to 64, which now put him at the mental age of nine years and six months old. Despite all of this, they recommended that he be discharged from the school and he returned home to Bath in March of 1946, where he began a series of short-term jobs to try and make ends meet. Just about a year after coming back home, John began breaking into unoccupied homes to steal small items, not to keep them himself or give away, but to hide them like it was some sort of game. On July 27, 1947, a 13-year-old girl said that a boy named John grabbed her, put his hands over her mouth, and said into her ear, what would you do if I killed you? I have done it before. Though the incident at the time was not connected to John Straffen, he was caught after strangling the chickens belonging to the father of a girl who he got into an argument with, and when arrested, he was already under suspicion of robbery. When police started speaking with him about the crimes they knew and suspected him of committing, John cheerfully confessed to those and many other incidents that they had no clue about. Officially remanded into custody, the medical officer of HM Prison Horfield examined John and determined that he had a mental disability and therefore could not be held accountable for his crimes. He was instead committed to the Hortham Colony in Bristol under the Mental Deficiency Act of 1913. Once in the open colony, one which specialized in helping mentally disabled offenders resettle into the community, John became a well-behaved model of success. And in July of 1949, was transferred to a lower-security agricultural hostel in Winchester. After initially impressing everyone with his progress, John started to slip back into his old ways and stole a bag of walnuts from the facility. He was then sent back to Hortham in February of 1950, and by that August, was already in trouble with the police who, when he went home without leave, had to rearrest him and take him back into custody. In 1951, John was examined at Bristol Hospital, where they found that he suffered from a, quote, wide and severe damage to the cerebral cortex, probably from an attack of encephalitis in India before the age of six. This diagnosis did not change, however, the fact that John was considered rehabilitated and was now allowed unescorted leave home. He got a job and, after a while, was licensed to the care of his mother and was allowed to live in a less crowded family home. After his 21st birthday, John was reassessed under the Mental Deficiency Act, and though the family disputed it and appealed, his certificate was extended for a further five years. With family raging, the medical officer of health for Bath decided to examine John again on July 10, 1951, and though his IQ now placed him at the mental age of 10, an improvement, he decided to keep the certificate, but only for the next six months after which he would be officially discharged. Now, what no one seemed to notice during all of these assessments, and while back in the family home, 
was that John Straffen, at some point along the way in his 21 years, developed a deep hatred and resentment towards law enforcement. Blaming them for all of his troubles, claiming they began back when he was eight and his crimes began, on the day of his reassessment, he read about the murder of a young girl named Christine Butcher. Realizing that murder, particularly the murder of young girls, gave police the, quote, maximum amount of trouble, John decided on July 15, 1951, to commit a crime of his own and become a thorn in the side of those he hated. On that day, John Straffen visited the local movie theater and, along the route, passed by the home where five-year-old Brenda Goddard lived with her foster parents. He watched as she gathered up some flowers, walked over, and offered to show her a much better spot to finish her bouquet. She excitedly agreed, and John lifted her over the fence to a small gathering of trees, and on the way over, the girl fell and hit her head upon a stone. Unconscious, John seized his opportunity and strangled the girl to death. He made no attempts to hide the body. He wanted police to find it, after all, and continued his walk to the movies as if nothing had happened. While the community reeled over the murder of a little girl, the local police started making their list of suspects, and though they never considered him violent before, they did list John as a suspect and brought him in for questioning on August 3rd. Before doing so, however, they decided to visit his employer and check on his recent movements. This resulted in John losing his job on July 31st. When later interviewed by a prison psychiatrist, John said he knew from the beginning that he was a suspect and wanted to annoy the police. Less than a week after he was brought in for questioning in connection to Brenda Goddard's murder, John made his way to the movies again and happened upon nine-year-old Cecily Batstone. Convincing her to join him, he took the girl to a different theater to see a movie and then took the bus to a meadow known as Tumps. Once there, on the outskirts of Bath, he strangled the girl and left her in plain view to be found. Now, this time, there were many witnesses who told police that the last time they saw Cecily was in the company of John Straffen. Even the bus conductor was a former co-worker of John's, and one witness who saw them together was actually the wife of a policeman. So when the young girl's body was found and they went looking for their killer, they went straight to the home of John Straffen. He was arrested for the murder of Cecily Batstone on the morning of August 9th and immediately confessed to not just her murder, but the murder of Brenda Goddard. Later claiming he committed the murders to give police something to really do instead of wasting their time on his petty offenses, John was brought to trial on October 17, 1951. During the proceedings, only one witness was heard, a medical officer at the Horfield prison named Peter Parks, and he detailed John's extensive medical history and stated his belief that he was unfit to plead. Claiming, quote, you might as well try a baby in arms. If a man cannot understand what is going on, he cannot be tried. The jury returned the verdict that John Straffen, while guilty, was insane and unfit to stand trial. Instead of prison, he was sent to Broadmoor Hospital, which had recently, under the Criminal Justice Act of 1948, transitioned from a, quote, criminal lunatic asylum to the hands of the Ministry of Health, who now called the inmates their patients. John, who was given a job as a cleaner upon arrival, had no intentions of staying in the hospital. So on April 29, 1952, 
He climbed the 10-foot wall surrounding the building and, wearing civilian clothing under his work clothes, made his way into town and, just hours later, took the life of five-year-old Linda Boyer, who happened to be out riding her bike. He was recaptured shortly thereafter, and the following morning, Linda's body was found. Police immediately went to question John, who, before police could even explain the detail about the bike, responded, I did not kill the little girl on the bicycle. Having dug his own grave, John was charged with Linda's murder and was sent to HM Prison Brixton to await his trial. Pleading not guilty, the defense decided to leave the question of his sanity to the jury, and the prosecution requested, and were granted, the opportunity to present the details of his previous murders in the courtroom. Things were delayed, however, when one of the jurors attended a club one evening and declared that one of the prosecution witnesses, not John Straffen, had killed Linda Boyer. The next morning, the judge had to discharge the jury and force the juror to stay in the court throughout the trial before calling on him to apologize for his, quote, wicked discharge of your duties as a citizen. Despite his history and the results of the first trial, the prosecution managed to get the judge to agree that, though not fit to stand trial before, John was now mentally stable enough to plead in his own case. Between this and the details of the first two murders, the jury came back after less than an hour with a guilty verdict. John Straffen was sentenced to death for his third murder, and though he appealed his sentence, claiming the evidence from the murders of Brenda Goddard and Cecily Batstone were wrongly admitted, as well as his statements the morning after Linda's murder, he was denied. However, before he could walk to the gallows and after his execution had already been scheduled, the Home Secretary made the decision to reprieve the man who, now considered feeble-minded, had in less than a year been ruled insane, sane, and insane all over again. After his reprieve, Straffen was moved from prison to prison countless times. However, as the years passed on, there grew more questions about his guilt in at least one of the murders. As the 15th anniversary of John's imprisonment approached in 2001, his lawyers called for the case to be re-examined on the grounds that he, at the time, was not fit to stand trial around the same time that an investigative journalist, Bob Wolfenden, examined previously confidential records and stated his doubts that John was even guilty of Linda Boyer's murder. Claiming John didn't have fingernails, which did not match the injuries found on Linda's body, and that some of the witnesses placed the time of murder after his recapture, he believed that there was enough evidence to prove his innocence in at least one of the three cases. Which seems to make sense considering he had absolutely no problem admitting to the murders of Brenda Goddard and Cecily Batstone, but insisted until the end of his life that he had nothing to do with Linda Boyer's death. Despite this, John's application to the Criminal Cases Review Commission was turned down in December of 2002. He remained in prison until November 19, 2007, when, at the age of 77, he died behind bars. John Thomas Straffen, who served 55 years, 3 months, and 26 days in prison, was the longest-serving inmate at the time of his death. He was only surpassed by fellow child killer Ian Brady. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on November 20th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.